I was doing some last-minute things before I got ready to come and pick Peter up at 6.30, come to church, have a nice night off. And then suddenly just something inside said, check your phone. So I checked my phone at a quarter past six. And it was a message from Pastor Ben. Can you preach tonight? (laughs) He said, do something on Behold the Man. I said, well, I mightn't have something on Behold the Man, but I might just chuck something in every so often just to, you know, I'm doing a series. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Spirit of God who already is speaking to us about stuff. Lord, stuff you want us doing in the community, stuff you want us doing in our own lives, stuff you want us doing as family, stuff you want us doing as community. And Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit gives voice to that stuff tonight and that you speak clearly, Holy Spirit, to the lives of every single precious person here in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I want to share with you something that's been bubbling up on the inside of me for a couple of months now. And I only yesterday said to the Lord, Lord, I'd love a chance to share this sometime. And so, wow, that's a quick harvest. (laughs) I want to call it, I want to change the world. I don't know about you, but from the moment I became a Christian, there was something on the inside of me that said, I'm important, that I'm someone special. Have you had that? Have you had that at some stage in your life where you've just felt, gee, God's got something for me? And I just knew that I'd do something that would impact other people. But isn't it funny? When we tend to get that sense of destiny in us, we tend to think of, oh, gee, I must be called to be a Billy Graham thousands, millions, or a Reinhardt Bonnke, and preach before millions. And so I want to burst that bubble tonight. You know, I want to change the world does not mean that you're going to stand and minister before the millions and the tens of thousands and the hundreds of thousands, probably not even the hundreds. But there is a way to change the world that will be long-lasting and will impact the very culture of a city. And I want to talk to you about that tonight, about our role in changing the culture of a city. So I'd like you to, like to introduce to you Stephen. And if we have a look in Acts chapter 6, we see this man, Stephen... God paints a great picture of Stephen in the scriptures. We see in Acts chapter 6, Acts is the book straight after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the New Testament and then we have the book of Acts and verse six, uh, chapter 6 and verse 1. Now in those, and please excuse me if we don't have words on the, but being the wonderful, remarkable person that my husband is, It will probably just appear, okay? Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 15. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then 
twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and the rest of them. Now, has he noticed something very different when he mentioned Philip, when he mentioned Stephen? He added something there, a bit of a description about Stephen's character and what he was like. He listed all the men, but right there after Stephen, it said, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just back up a little bit. What was this man of faith and full of the Holy Spirit doing? Wow, was he, you know, traveling around the countryside preaching, doing revival meetings? Was he actually preaching the word when he went places to large numbers? Now, let's just back up a little bit. Seek out from among you, verse 3, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over the business of the daily distribution for widows and the people. So they were serving. And God, the Holy Spirit, intentionally put here a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. We go down in verse 6, and they set, and they set before them the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Verse 7, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Verse 8 again. If you didn't get it the first time, guess what? Stephen, full of faith and power. One of the meanings of that word faith there is the word grace. Full of grace and power. Did great wonders and signs among the people. Here's a young man. Full of faith, grace and power. He did miracles. He did signs and wonders. And he was waiting on tables. That was his job at this point. I bet you the disciples, seeing the way he was, with, with seeing the evidence of this man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, started planning and talking about, you know what, Stephen, one day he's going to be with us. Or one day we'll send him out, you know, out the bush. He can start a church out there. He's full of grace, full of faith and power. He doesn't, the, what, what, how God moves through him. We can use him in the church. And someone like that, when we see someone like that, straight away we target, wow, they're going to do great things for God. Probably travel the world, do remarkable things, preach to thousands. But Stephen's ministry was very short-lived. And we see, if we have a look what happened, he was arrested and he began... It says in verse 9, And there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, brought him to the council, they set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. 
verse 14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, change the customs which Moses delivered to us, and all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. At that point, Stephen got the preach. Amongst his accusers, amongst his, uh, the ones who were persecuting him. And he laid out before him the story of Christ. From Moses, from the beginning, he laid out the story. And it came to a point where he started to declare who Jesus was and they felt he'd gone too far. And the stones came out. And they began to stone him. And they killed him. Wow. Here's this person who you think full of the Holy Ghost, full of power, full of faith, a world changer. And yet in an instant his life had changed. He's gone. We read in Acts 7, just over the next one, and verse 60. We see from verse 55 to 60, his last moments. Chapter 7, verse 55 to 60. And he being full of the Holy Spirit. There it is again. Do you think God has something to say? Do you think the whole reliance on not on your own strength, but on the strength of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit... You know, in Acts 1 verse 8, we're told um, that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on us, that we will be witnesses. That word witness means something serving as evidence or proof. So Stephen was being the proof of the Holy Spirit or the proof of Jesus having come. And he said, I gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, cast him out of the city, stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Now Paul was consenting to his, Saul was consenting to his death. Stephen's greatest accomplishment was to preach a message that would change the heart of Saul. He was destined to change the world. A man full of the Holy Ghost, a man full of faith, full of grace, who didn't last that long in what we would think, wow, that's not a very long ministry. But in his dying breath, he uttered the words that changed Saul. And as a result, the world has been changed. You see, you don't have to change every single person in the world. You have to change the one. That's all God's calling you to change, is one. He changed the one. The evangelist that changed the heart of Saul 
for the word being preached. Saul was a word man. He knew the scriptures. He was a Hebrew scholar. And so he knew the word. He knew the promised Messiah. He knew all that. And as he hung on to those coats and heard that word preached and he consented to his death, those words began to bubble. You might say, you taking poetic license here? Yeah, I am. I am. They began to bubble up because that's what the Word of God does. God causes the Holy Spirit to go, have it go over and over and over in your head and you just keep going over it and you can't stand it anymore until finally you're on the road to Damascus. And God says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And that next is history. The world is changed through the testimony and the revelation given to a man called Paul. I want to change the world. You want to change the world? Then change your workplace. You want to change the world? Then change your neighbourhood. You start with one. You are called to change the one. And even in that... You're not even the one who does the changing. As you step out in obedience, that's the thing about Stephen. If he's full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, meant he was listening to what God wanted him to do. And as you step out, God's going to bring the one. One of my most favourite movies is a really old movie called It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you have seen or heard of It's a Wonderful Life? And It's a Wonderful Life is the story of George Bailey. There are some, I saw some the other day in Woolies. I don't know if Coles has any. Does Target have any, Jonathan? Don't know, okay. But no doubt you can get that movie online. I recommend you get it. It's a very old movie. But over the last number of months, the Lord's got me looking at it and going over it because it's about the story of the life of a man who wanted to change the world. And right from a young age, in his teenage years, he would say, I'm going to get on a boat or a plane. I'm going to go out there, become an architect. I'm going to build skyscrapers. I'm going to change the world. And that was his words. I'm going to change the world. And he would save up. He'd get that money in the bank. He'd have the ticket in his hand. He'd be about to get on that plane or boat. And something would come up. And look, this is spoilers, okay, if you want to see the movie. I'm about to tell you, spoilers. Block your ears if you don't want to. And every single time, something would happen and he would have to give the money away or he would have to step back and put someone else's plans ahead of his own. And it got to 20 years down the track of doing this, having about four or five times he had opportunity to go overseas and see the world. He wanted to see Europe and he wanted to travel and see all the different cultures. And about... 20 years later, he's married, he has children, he's starting to regret the children and marriage. He's starting to regret the path he's taken. And he goes and he's contemplating suicide. He's contemplating because to him, he's accomplished nothing in his life. He's done nothing meaningful, purposeful. He's impacted nothing. He's not seen the world. So to him, his life was a failure. So he had himself on the side of a bridge looking down and, and, okay, so the movie's not doctrinally correct. So there was this angel that came and spoke to him. So, you know, if you watch it, just get over that, <laughs> okay? But he 
comes to the side of this bridge and this angel comes up to him and says, what are you doing? He starts telling his story. I haven't accomplished anything in my life. He says, I wished I didn't even, wasn't even born. At that moment, he got his wish. And he got a chance to see the world had he not existed. The lives he changed. The town itself was very different. The culture of the town. The people who he had influenced, who he had shown um, love to, who he had blessed financially, who he had helped buy a house along the way. These people's lives were in ruin. And some of them weren't even alive. And as he looked at this this picture of what the world would be like without him, it started to realise that the fact that he has influenced and changed these people's lives is a good thing. He realised that he did change the world by changing his own community, changing the people's lives around him, changing the town that he lived in. You know what, guys? We've got to change the one. Let's go after the one. Who are the one? I'm not just talking about, I'm not talking about any, just the one, but I'm talking about there's a lost and dying world out there that needs to hear what you've got. Who's the one? When I was, back in 2004, I went to a conference down in Melbourne. And while I was there, during worship, I got a picture of something with Alice Springs. It was, it was set in Alice Springs. I saw Anzac Hill. And I may have shared this before, so please ignore the fact if I have. Put it down to I'm in my 50s, okay? So, <laughs> so in this vision or picture I got, it was, Mount, it was Anzac Hill. And it was on the side where the road goes up, uh, up to the top of the hill. And down the bottom of the hill were these people in that, the sort of uniform, soldier uniforms you see in the Civil War, American Civil War. And they had the guns like they have. You know, you've got to put a shot in it, fire it, put it down, reload it, put a shot in it, fire it again. So it's a one-shot, I only know to call it a one-shot gun, Okay? you know what else it's called, that's fine. But I'm calling it a one-shot gun and I'm telling the story. So, so here's this picture of this army at the bottom of Anzac Hill with these guns reloading them. And here's this person that's like a general on the side going, okay, reload, reload. I don't condone violence, okay? But the picture is this. As You'd aim and fire. I heard the Spirit of God say, how do you take a city? And in the next breath, he said, one person at a time. And the symbolic symbolism of this type of gun was, you can only shoot one person at a time. You go after one person at a time. Let's get rid of this mentality that ministry is getting up before lots of people and up here, And that's all ministry is. I know Pastor Ben's been talking about it. But this has been burning within me to tell you over the last number of months. Guys, girls, go after the one. That's the cry of the Spirit. Let's go after the one. Jesus himself. Okay, behold the man. Okay. 
This is I'm bringing in some behold the man. Let's, let's tell Pastor Ben, okay? Jesus himself did this on a lot of occasions. And sometimes when we see the multitude following him around all the time, it's hard to lose sight of the fact that he actually did go after the one many times, like the woman at the well, Samaria. That one woman and talking to her and going to where she was, whether it was intentional or not, but he was there at that spot. Saw revival come to Samaria several chapters later. He said, go and tell everyone what we've, what's happened. We look at the woman with the issue of blood, crowd all around. He stopped for the one and went back. Zacchaeus, we see the tax collectors. He goes after the one, even though the multitude's there. Let's peel away this multitude and have a look at the times and occasions where he went after the one. And those people were key people. The centurion. In Luke chapter 15, we have the parable of the lost sheep. And I'm going to read from verse 1, just down the verse 2. I won't, I won't go on, for the, I won't read the whole parable of the lost son, but I want to do the first two. It says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. Oh, they were getting very bold. The religious were always attacking them. And then here is Jesus who was standing up for them. And that just had them come out in their droves to spend time with him. The Pharisees, so this is Jesus telling this story, by the way. In my Bible, it's red. Anyone else have a red letter? It's red, which means Jesus said it. The Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, Verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? That's really interesting. He says he keeps looking until he finds it. You know, I've had a bit of a change of thinking. In the Christian world, people who are non-churched are often called seekers from this scripture, we should be the one called seekers. This man sought. He, went, he was a seeker. He continued to look, didn't give up, was frantic until he found what was lost. Went after the one. The next story, the story of the woman who lost the coin. Same thing. Had lost something very precious. She continued to seek, to look to search out, didn't give up until found the one. Becomes a, a frantic lifestyle of, of devoting yourself to going after the one. We then see the story of the prodigal son. And Jesus again reiterates that by looking at the way in which we are to receive the one. 
One thing, I want to tell this, say this over and over again tonight. If you want to change the world, you go after the one. If you change the one, you change a heart. You change a heart, you change a family. You change a family, you change the culture. And the biggest thing Alice Springs needs is a change of heart and a change of culture. Because what this new life in Christ does is it gets people to live opposite to the prevailing spirit in a town. Instead of living in hate, it becomes one of love. Instead of living in greed, it becomes one of giving and serving. Instead of living in a uh, a family or a a town that's of self, promoting self and pride, it becomes one of humility and promoting others or serving others and putting others first. It's a total radical change of heart and lifestyle. So how do we do that? I think some of the things we've been hearing out in this church over the last 12 months have been a lot of tools telling us how to reach the one, telling our story, walking in love, choosing to treat people with kindness instead of judgment, condemnation. You want to be a person of influence. We see here our six cores, core values, connect, grow, serve, Flourish, lead, influence. See, this is the influence one. This is influence. You want to influence the people around you and and your sphere of influence. Who are you working with? Who are you associating with? Who in your sphere of influence, even now as I speak, as, as I speak now to you, I'm going to believe that God starts giving you a name and a face of someone he wants you to build relationship with. Not in a pulling down. Someone you can invite around for tea. Someone you can get to know. Go and have a cuppa with. I love those times of sitting around a table with a cuppa and just talking to someone. And see, we don't know what those people are going through. As they lay their head down on a pillow of a night time, the fears, the torments, the anxiety that comes up in them for the future, it's a scary place. And so the word tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that in these days that men would... um, The fear, the fear of the future would cause people to have heart attacks. That's in the scriptures. So you are the person who brings hope. I am the person who brings hope to someone. I want to change the world. Yes, I do. One person at a time. Let's get off this idea. And I know it's, it's been around for a long time, this idea that if you're going to impact a place, you've got to have large meetings You've got to 